The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power. G'day everybody, Mac19 here and this is I The Big Footy power. Port Adelaide podcast coming to you live on Port Fan Radio. Joining me this evening is the lovely Porsche. How are you? Macanaka, how's it going? What's going on? Ah, oh, you know, um, sort of half enjoying, half lamenting a weekend without a port game. Uh, yeah. Really kind without of mixed, any football? mixed feelings. Oh, no, I watched the women's game on Saturday night. That was actually, you know, that was all right. It was okay yeah, to watch. I didn't even realise that was on, but I was at a punk oh. show anyway, so I couldn't have watched it anyway. But. Oh, there you go. Yeah, but um, no, that, that unfortunate combination of, well, Port aren't in the finals, so that sucks. But then also, at least I don't have to watch Port lose more games and get annoyed by it. So, you know, yep. it's always that mix. True, very true. How are you feeling this evening for the uh, podcast hangover? Uh, look, last last Tuesday was rough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> rough for more reasons than one. Obviously, I was not feeling too great after that session, which I indulged probably a bit more than I should have. But also, I it's the first time I actually listened to myself recorded when I'm drunk and I am a complete idiot. Um, so I won't be doing that again anytime soon. <laughs> Look, I've got to say, the pre-podcast chatter was uh, was almost the best bit. <laughs> that was great. Uh, I had lots of fun. I'm happy to do that uh, again, maybe that time next year. Yeah, I think that's probably a good way to do it. We'll make it a regular Mad Monday thing or something. That's it. Mm. Right, well, let's get straight into it because there is a lot to talk about this evening. We're going to go through our season review for 2016. What went wrong, what uh, went right. That will be a very quick section. Um, and we're going to go in a bit of uh, into a bit of depth, so hopefully it's, uh, it's fairly interesting. But look, there's plenty of news that's happened in the last uh, seven days or so as well. Um, obviously, the big news is the delistings. Obviously, we've seen uh, Jay Schultz... Um, uh, be told that he's not going to get a new contract. We spoke about that last week, but we say goodbye to four more players um, at Port Adelaide um, this week. And, and I guess the first one to talk about is Alipati Carlisle, who retires after 167 games across 11 seasons. Uh, he was drafted with pick 44 back in the 2005 draft, uh, a very dependable fullback, um, maybe struggled a bit under Primus, um, but was good under Choco, and his resurgence under uh, Kenny was something that really helped push the club uh, into finals through 2014 and 15. Uh, Porsche, it's, uh, it's sad to see the uh, the big Fijian go. Yeah, look, I mean, I guess if you're going to rate his career, he'd be somewhere close to like a Stephen Paxman. Um, yeah. In that he's been a good solid contributor. You know, I don't think it was any season in which you'd say he was a real chance to make like All-Australian or anything like that, but he's just been a really good solid backman for the most part throughout his career. Um, it's a real unfortunate thing, the way that his season has ended, and unfortunately his, his career has ended. But um, I, it was really nice to see in his um, uh, farewell speech, the boys, like, he was really, he was pretty upbeat about it all. Um, and that, that was good to see, you know. Sometimes yeah. you you think it might be really tough, but he was he was pretty settled with where he's at, and that that's good to know. So, I think yeah. so, yeah. Um. Yeah, look, I mean, injuries got him in the end. Only two games this year, 14 games total over the last two years. Um, it's a real shame because um, his form to start last year was very, very good. And he's mm. pretty much only played two games since. So that's a real shame. Do you have any uh, specific memories um, of uh, Big Paddo? 
God, no. But my main one is the one when he finally got that Brownlow vote after, what was it, over 100 games? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, good game, that one. That's probably one of my memories as well, mm. um, was him getting the uh, the Brownlow votes over uh, against Hawthorne after um, destroying Jared Ruffhead, who had a great start to that year. And I always mm. remember the way he dismantled Matthew Lloyd in round one, 2009. He kicked a goal that day as well and, and kept Lloyd goalless. So yeah. that was probably... Uh, the first moment where you thought, yeah, this uh, this kid's got something about him. You know, he's going to be a, a pretty good player, and uh, he certainly developed into that over time. Look, he's definitely the kind of player that if we had a consistent defensive unit throughout the journey, he would be more much more highly rated than he was. Yeah. Um, for those one-on-one battles, I don't think you could find a lot better. But um, that isn't, you know, a, a full-on elite defender, basically. As a one-on-one player, he's pretty good. Mm. Yeah, certainly... Um, uh, Carlisle and Chaplin looked like um, they might grow into a very, very good partnership there throughout those sort of uh, late noughties um, uh, seasons, but uh, didn't work out that way with uh, with Chappie at least anyway. But uh, I guess the next player to talk about, which uh, look, I'm I'm choking back the tears here, mate. It's uh, Johnny Butcher. No more future, Johnny, Big Johnny, former <laughs> Big Footy player sponsor. Fan favourite John Butcher has been delisted, yeah. shockingly, after 31 games and 41 goals in seven years. At Port Adelaide, he was a former pick eight in the 2009 draft. The player we all wanted, but uh, it just didn't work out for him. Portia, no. why didn't it work out for Johnny? Uh, look, I mean, I guess there's a lot of signs that you we kind of ignored. Um, that might have indicated that it might have been a bit tougher. You know, the fact that he did go at, what, pick nine when the year before he was a clear number one. Um, little things like that. Um, and then just the fact that he just couldn't get it all together at the same time, you know. Um, he, there was certainly a role for him in our top side if he was able to perform uh, at a consistent level, but he's just never had all the pieces um, I, I couldn't pinpoint. I mean, people talk about his bad kicking or the fact that his marking disappears at the high level or whatever else. But I mean, I, I guess if we're just going to have a criticism, I don't think it's his endeavour. I think it's just that he was not quite up to the standard that you need in every category. Yeah, I think that's fair. Do you think it's fair that he's been delisted? Obviously, with uh, with Schultz going out as well, Howard injured for uh, for much of next year. Um, our key position stocks are going to be pretty thin um, heading into next year at this point in time. Yeah, well, I mean, this comes down to our point of difference, Macca, um, in that I'm prepared for us to go in with a small forward line next year and have very little KP, uh, key, key position forward depth at the top level. Yep. Um, so Dixon, yeah, definitely play. Um, maybe if we do have Trengo relieving Ryder in Ruck, then Ryder might play a little bit forward, but not much. But if there's a big injury to Dixon or Ryder, then we just play smalls, you know. Yeah. We've got... We, we can do that, I reckon, um, and it would not take much for us to improve our our lot off-field, uh, uh, sorry, in this off-season in terms of that uh, kind of depth. And I think that's probably the way we'd go and then have a couple of tools developing in the SNFL. Yeah. Big Johnny, I'm going to miss the, the hairy bugger, that's for sure. He, um, you know, he really struggled with his body over the first few seasons, and we knew that when we drafted him, he was going to miss most of his first year and... Yeah, he seemed to get over his body problems, um, only to struggle with uh, with getting some consistency to his game in the last few years. And you know, sadly, 2016 was probably his most consistent season. 
you know, as we've said on the podcast all year, he's played really good, consistent footy all year in the SANFL. Uh, but as I've also said on the podcast, um, there are probably too many core issues with his game uh, to ever mm. become a, a consistent AFL performer, I think. And, you know, his inability to time his leads was a massive issue for a long time. Um, he looked timid at the contest all through 2012 and 13. That was a huge problem. Uh, obviously, his kicking issues were well documented, but um, he had worked on them and, and they had certainly improved in the last 18 months. Yeah, look, I mean, I guess if you're going to compare a career, um, I kind of compare him a little bit to Scott Gumbleton. Um, pre-draft, I was really big on Scott Gumbleton because he was a player that he had the physical attributes that you want, but he also was really quite accountable. He was good at tackling as well for a key forward. Yeah. Uh, and that all seemed like a complete package, but he just never put it together. He had injuries. Um, it's been a really similar story, and uh, it's why it comes down to um, when you draft a key forward, you can't ever draft just one key forward and hope you've got the problem solved because it's like a lot of positions. You know, you're going to have people that don't work out, and the harder the position is, then the more likely it is you'll have to have multiple people not work out to fill it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's probably unfortunate, but it's it's where that. Any uh, memorable moments with uh, with Big Butch? No, nah, not really. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've oh, got that, plenty. I've got plenty. The, the one where he kicked five, was it? It was all right. Six goals in six, six kicks yeah. in his second game. I think that yeah. all gave us a lot of hope. Um, yeah, absolutely. Especially at that time of year when we'd just been absolutely thrashed by a few teams on the trot. Um, and then for that to happen, I mean, that was just uh, you know something that gave everybody hope against the Dogs that day. And uh, then to back that up with a four-goal game against Essendon the next week as well and took a couple of hangers as well, that was... Uh, that was great, but um, I guess it didn't probably work out from there. And you know, he, he played a couple of really good showdowns as well. In uh, in 2012, he kicked four, and uh, and the first um, showdown at Adelaide Oval, he was very very good that day as well. Uh, also played a really good game against St Kilda in 14 uh, from memory too. So we're going to miss you, Butch. He's uh, he's one of the club's um, probably all time cult heroes amongst the fans, I reckon. Yeah, he's kind of like a. Um... An unsuccessful version of Troy Luff. <laughs> Fair enough. That's a that's an interesting shout out, but I like it. That's good. Troy Luff. I never thought I'd hear that name on the podcast. So there. Oh, you go. Well, if you if you watched the Legends game this weekend, you would have seen him there, and it's like, ah, oh, Troy Luff, fantastic. Troy Luff. There you go. Another and, and cult also, hero. Sorry. Yeah. And what well, the other thing was um, in that Legends game, I, I thought, who's that useless blonde player? And it's like, oh, that's Lewis Roberts Thompson. Yeah, he's through to form. <laughs> <laughs> he was like the uh, Troy Luff Mark II sort of thing, version 2. He was never as good as Troy Luff, though. No, he, well, he almost won a bloody uh, Norm Smith. So what? <laughs> Just about the only good game he played, I reckon. Yeah, every player has one of them. Brent Riley had his in a showdown. You know, yeah, that true. happens. Mm. Uh, moving on, and another cult hero, Kane Mitchell, we say goodbye to um, after 35 games and 19 goals in four seasons after being drafted in the 2012 rookie draft. Super professional, uh, super funny, obviously one of the most loved characters at the club. Similar to Butch um, in that there was probably some core issues with his game which were always going to hold him back. Uh, but he's certainly a player that every Port fan should really respect for getting the absolute best out of himself and leaving everything out on the park. Yeah, and... Um, look, he, he performed, we've talked about it before on the podcast, we've performed um, not just in terrible games, but there were a couple of important games to the club that he actually was a, a fairly important contributor to. So oh, sure. he, he's, he's done pretty well. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking, can you think of a player at Port Adelaide who has had who has better hair or has had better hair than Kane Mitchell? Because I don't think there, I can't think of any. 
Oh, Brownie ton. would be up there. He'd be close, but his is more ratty. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mark Harwood, when he was drafted, he looked like a bloody male model. Yeah, that's that true. Long, uh, that long hair. Pooley, of course, as well, when he had the... Uh, yeah, his hair's all right, the, uh, yeah. The, the tail going at the back. Yeah, yeah. I have to think but about it. But no, Kane does have very sexy hair. That's it's true. Yeah. Short or long. Yeah. Oh, it's got to be long. Yeah, well, look, I mean... If it's you're talking Kane up. Mitchell, it's got to be Kane Mitchell uh, long hair version, for sure. Yeah, the Samson version, yep. Yeah. <laughs> the Lord Farquhar version. Uh, yeah, no, good on him. He had a real crack. He did. He absolutely did. And look, unfortunately, I think the mix of being a sub-180 player with uh, poor foot skills is something that was always going to hold him back. And as you said, I mean, credit to him, pretty much all his good games came either against top four opposition or, or in showdowns. You know, he had a couple of great games against Frio and Hawthorne, a couple of good showdowns um, in 2014 and, uh, and 15, I think, as well. And, of course, his effort against Cochin this year was uh, was a top-class performance, too. And, look, mm. his SANFL efforts have been absolutely faultless. And anyone that averages, you know, 32 touches and nine clearances a game at state level, you know, good on him. He's always um, he's always delivered. Absolutely. Um, no one can doubt his state league potential. Um, I guess you might... I don't know. I don't know, don't know where he'll go from here. He might go back to... He's from WA originally, isn't he? He might go yeah. back there or... Who knows? I'd rather that than seeing him run around for bloody Glenelg or Nord, to be honest. But he might go into a coaching role or something. Maybe might go mm. to the VFL. Yeah, maybe. He hasn't played over there, so you never know. And look, the last of the uh, delistees, Sammy Cahoon. Um, yeah. He leaves the club after 16 games in four years after being drafted in the preseason draft at the end of 2012. Uh, he played 10 games in his debut year as an 18-year-old. Look, uh, looked quite promising, but unfortunately did an ACL in 2014. And although he was a regular high-possession player in the SANFL, he never really got a look in after that. Um, Porsche, he's someone we've spoken about uh, at length all year um, as part of the Fringe Force 5 in your previews. Yeah. Uh, your thoughts um, on saying goodbye to Sammy? Well, the first one is that if Rick's listening, you can bring me back some tea from Nepal. That'll be fine. <laughs> um, but the other thing is that, look, um, Cahoon, he was worth a punt in the year we drafted him, but the fact that he's been around this long, he's been given a lot of benefit of doubt. Obviously, he had a horrible injury, but his upside before then was probably a bit iffy. Um, and as we discussed previously on the podcast, like if we wanted to replace him, like there's so many smaller guys that we could have a crack at this year that would probably come in and have <clears throat> more upside than him going yeah. forward. It's it's really look it's really tough when you're a smaller player in the AFL because that all it takes is that one season uh, of injury where you don't progress and then there's some other kid fighting for that chance that mm. wants a wants a go you know it's tough yeah. but it, it's it, it it's it's part of why we have so many short players because we know that they do try harder so yeah although he was the uh, youngest player in the league when he was drafted. And, uh, you know, to play in two finals in that year, he, you know, as I said, he, he looked quite promising and um, had pretty decent skills, knew how to get the ball, and that part of his game certainly hasn't gone away. But uh, I guess he was always going to be a player without really a position in our side. And, um, you know, he's still only 21 and picks up, you know, stupid amounts of bowl in the SA NFL every week. 
Although um, he probably has zero hurt factor, which uh, which holds it against him. But uh, yep. you never know. He might find a new home. I think of, of all those players, he's most likely to find a new home just because he is still so young. Um, and he may suit someone like Brisbane who just need players that can actually get the ball. Nah. <laughs> Don't reckon? <laughs> no, no, I reckon he's done. I reckon he's done. Um, uh, this, look, there's just not enough exceptional to his game. If he'd been playing in, say, the late 90s or the early 2000s, he might have been able to stick around a club for 10 years. But, yeah. you know, like if we've talked, I think, in the Carlton game about Cade Simpson, you know, how he's just been an okay player that's sort of been around the club for a lot, the right time and he's had a full career. And I think that Sam Cahoon would have had to have hoped for a similar situation to be able to extract an AFL career for himself, but it hasn't happened. Yeah. Yeah, look, if you're going to play that sort of quarterback role um, as a loose player in defence, you've, you've either got to be really, really quick or have exceptional skills. And unfortunately, um, Sam probably doesn't have either of those. So, um, you know, we thank those four players for everything they've done for Port Adelaide. Um, you know, it's been fun watching them play. Yeah. I, I always well. get sad when I say goodbye to players, even if I don't particularly like them too much. But I always, say, I always end up getting a little bit sad. But. For me, I just... If it's a player that is, has annoyed me, I just become unangry, but not sad. Yeah. <laughs> so when Matt Lobby goes, I'll go from being kind of annoyed at his existence in the Port Adelaide side to like, oh, well, okay, cool. We can move yeah, on. For sure. Look, speaking of annoying, uh, let's move on to uh, Hamish Hartlett. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, look, I think it's interesting that the club, you know, we've spoken about for a long time, the fact mm. that the club... Um, well, certainly on the podcast anyway, myself and Rick have spoken about this at length for a number of years, whether we should actually trade Hamish Hartlett because his value probably outweighs his um, his performance somewhat in the side. And um, it's, it's very interesting that the club have, have told Hamish that they're willing to listen to trade offers for him and, and may seek to move him on, despite the fact he's one year into a five-year deal and, and was made vice-captain this year. And Porsche, I guess um, I want your thoughts on that. Is this just a motivational tool that we're trying to use to um, kick him up the arse or are we legit trying to trade him out? Um, the last motivational tool I think we used or trick that we used uh, in regards to a contract would have been Choco's contract extension at a huge uh, cut and that backfired enormously. And I think if we're trying to use this as a motivational tool, it will also backfire enormously because if Hamish Hartlett decides to call our bluff and stay around and play shit, then we've got a very expensive player that is going to bring down our side. So yeah. um, we can't win if, if, we, if we're playing tricks. Um, we can't yeah. afford to play tricks in a case like this where we've hamstrung ourselves so so yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And, uh, honestly, though... The fact that we're willing to entertain those offers, you've got to, I want to hear from the club through whatever medium, even if it's through whispers to Lockhart Road or God knows who else, what is going to happen to remedy the situation that saw him, number one, signed to that contract extension and number two, made vice-captain? Because it feels like this last off-season is where everything went wrong and it sort of carried into the early season. Um, you know, the what was it, the Thingo Brothers for the... Um, uh, never tear us apart. <laughs> Still in the goal square the for the game. Incident. Ferris brothers. Yeah, yeah, right. Like just these completely out of tune, out of sync with what the fans want and what is good for a football team. Like it really felt like we lost our way in this off season. Yeah. Um, and that that naming of Tartlett as vice captain was definitely a huge part of it. I think. Yeah. Look. I think the the thing with the contract is I think we maybe choked a little bit there and. 
saw the rumours for what North were doing and maybe the um, maybe his uh, manager had a part to play in that as well and we just choked and said, oh, look, he's, he's a five-year deal with uh, worth a lot of money. Um, so to what, then make him vice-captain as well um, seemed a little bit strange at the time. I can only assume as well that that might have been a motivational tool, but it certainly backfired. Yeah, so basically what you're saying is that um, if Chris Davies is playing online poker, he's probably heavily in debt. <laughs> Well, look, he's he's got to wear this for sure. You know, yeah. he's um, you know, this was his probably his first big uh, signing as uh, mm. the new football manager, and um, it's certainly gone south. That's for sure. And as I said, you know, this is something that um, myself and Rick have spoken about on here since 2013. But it's um, it's interesting that the club's now decided to take this path, and I think it's fair. I, I really want to like Hamish more than I actually do. Um, and you know when you you kind of think of Hamish Hartlett, I think a lot of people around the league would think you know he's a big-bodied mid, he's got an elite kick, can play physical, you know, dangerous within you know 60, 65 meters of goals. He's a real big highlights player, but I think that's actually it. You know, he is a highlights player with um, with little substance to back it up at the moment. And when I think of Hamish right now, I think a player that hasn't been able to play through the midfield for two years, only seems to play behind the ball, kicking is overrated, you know, he, he kicks a lot of scrubbers for someone that's meant to be an elite kick, you know, zero defensive pressure when playing down back, is easily shot out by a tag, and a player that only seems to turn up every three or four weeks, and I think the perception of Hartlett and the reality of Hartlett are, are far apart. Um, I was reminded when again when I watched the AFL whatever it is the AFL All Stars game of Nick Holland, uh, and he mm. reminds me exactly of Nick Holland over the course of his career, and that he managed to keep rolling from big contract to big contract uh, on the back of rumours, and he never lived up to what people thought he was going to be. He had all of the attributes, but as far as consistent performance, he was never there. He was never a great forward, um, and I think that you know looking at the end of the career for Hartlett, we'll see the same thing. You know that he was. A good OK player that somehow had a bigger name than he probably deserved. Yeah. Oh, look, Nick Holland had a couple of good years. I think he run, won a Rising Star, got All-Australian and got a massive contract off the back of that All-Australian. And mm. I think when Port was sniffing as well. And um, I think he pretty much played the last two years of his huge contract in the uh, in the VFL, getting about 600 grand a year. And he didn't <laughs> play a game or something. So... Yeah, 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 good times. Let's hope that doesn't happen for us. That's for sure. Well, it's like I said, if we're playing tricks with this contract, then that's going to happen. So yeah. we'd better just be straight up about it. So, what are your thoughts if we uh, if we get offered a top ten pick for him? Yeah. What What are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sounds good. Let's You'd take on. it every day of the week, wouldn't you? Look, I would. Um, I might be a bit picky, like I said last week, you know, maybe go for a first-round pick next year instead of this year, that sort of thing. But apart from that, then, yeah, you, you take it, you know. Yeah. Um, he was he was drafted at pick four, and if we get pick eight after X number of years, then I'd be pretty stoked. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> uh, Jimmy Beacans on Spreaker Chatter said, why do we persist with him behind the bowl? And, look, I can only assume it's, um, it's because we want to use his... Uh, alleged elite foot skills to advantage coming out of defence. It's it's almost like the old Salapec or Peter Burgoyne role, which is so Ugh. easily shut out at this point in time. Uh, because yep. everyone knows if Hamish Harlett is, is playing in defence, we're going to look for him just about every single time um, we're coming out of there. So it's easy just to lump someone on him and tag him out of the game. Yeah, it costs too much to play that quarterback kind of role. I'm not a big fan of it. 
Um, any time I hear that a player is a quarterback and they might be coming to port, I immediately get my back up. I'm not interested in that at all. Yeah. Um, uh, you're quite right in comparing him to Salapek, particularly uh, in that. And I suppose Peter Burgoyne was a slightly different case. Um, Peter Burgoyne was really misused. We, like, we were so like we were not just a, quite reliant on him. Like we were going to him every single time yeah. um, when he was in that role. Whereas I think Salapek and Hartlock, like, it's just a tendency more than a, that deliberate um, every time make it available for this player to have the, have the ball. Uh, but it's still not great. Um, oh, look, I mean, I guess the main reason we played in there, and it's why we, what we discussed, I think, at the end of 2014, um, is that, no, 2015, 2015, um, is that when he's in that role, he's less likely to be injured, theoretically. Um, and that if he can produce at a decent level every week, then you can make a case for it. But as soon as he's not producing, like he's just another flanker and he's paid too much. So yeah. um, if he had consistency in that role, you, you could find a place for him and he could be beneficial. But as soon as that consistency starts to wane even a little bit, he's just nothing to us. No, it's a fair call. And look, I'd, I'd much prefer him. I've said it about 100 times on here. I'd much prefer him on a forward flank. If we're going to play him out of the midfield, I don't know why we don't plonk him on a forward flank so he can have pings at goals from 60 metres because he's a very accurate kick for goal. Does he work hard enough? Well, I don't know. I don't think we play him there often enough for me to have any sort of judgment on that. Yeah, because... Um... Although I don't think Harlot works hard enough as a player. For sure. I mean, that's why we're in this situation now. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, I guess if we're going to do comparisons to previous halfbacks, I mean, the main comparison you'd make with someone like Stuart Joe, um, who early in his career, we were all super excited when we were the Floodbusters in 2001. You know, he had this long kick, he was going forward and all that sort of stuff, and then he got turned into a backman. Uh, yeah. And there was, there was a good reason for it. Um, it did mean we lost most of the time his length of his kick, but what it did is that every time Stewie Joe was standing in the goal square of the ball, um, that forced the opponents to spread their zones because there was always that chance he might barrel it. Yeah. Um, and he did it. He did it just often <clears throat> enough to put that doubt in the opposition's mind, which made space in our defence and made it a bit easier to clear. Um, I think that might have been part of the theory behind having um, Hamish Hartlett in that quarterback role, but I just don't think that he uses the ball well enough to justify it for the most part. No. And certainly, we don't do enough running up ground to make it work. Yeah. Um, so it's just a it's just a bad call right now. For sure. Uh, look, the other news that I want to talk about, which got released today, is the uh, AFL um, Next Generation Academy selections. So 33 players have been nominated by clubs um, who've come from um, different pathways, either they're Aboriginal or multicultural. And look, the way it works is if these players go undrafted, then they can go onto the nominated club's list as a Category B rookie. Uh, so Port Adelaide has nominated two players. Uh, the first is uh, Emmanuel Era who is a name that's been around for a few years now. He's 21, plays for South Adelaide. Um, he's a midfielder, former AIS uh, academy player. And uh, the second player is uh, is a young lad called uh, Ariek Luau, who was a 192-centimetre, 17-year-old key position player from Norwood. Okay, good. Which is, uh, which is all right. Ira's, um, as I said, he's a name that's been around for a few years now. Um, got a lot of talent, but very inconsistent. Um, still playing... Uh, sort of half and half uh, seniors and reserves for South Adelaide. Um, Luau, I know absolutely nothing about, so I'm very keen to uh, find out a little bit more about him. Um, but look, there's, there's actually quite a few potential draftees that have been listed by clubs. Jai Simpkins, probably the obvious one, um, who 
whilst he's missed all this year, could still end up a number uh, a first round pick, I should say. Uh, Mitch Ma- Mitch McCarthy's going to get drafted. Daniel Alsop and Kyle Kirby as well are a very good chance, and Asava Radagalia and Ben Ronke are, are probably rookie chances as well. Yeah, I'd say so for sure. Mm. Um, I mean, I guess if you're talking about what was it, Luau or whatever it was, um, yep. as a 192 key position forward. Um, as a 192 key position forward, I'd much rather draft them on a rookie list no, than in the first round. I think he's more of a key position uh, defender. Oh, defender? Okay. Oh, we don't need that, so... <laughs> don't we? <laughs> well, I, I sure, we don't need a third tall defender, because that's what a 192 is, right? Well, same height as Cleary, same height as Carlisle. <laughs> we were only talking last week about how Cleary were saying it was ideally a third defender, Macca, and Carlisle was playing a key position role in a in an era that is not the next ten years; it's the last ten years. So, uh, no, nah, one hundred ninety two. That's a third. That's a third tour now. Mm. Well, it might same be interesting with... if we get him for free. Um, I guess it's up to the club to yeah to yeah. Uh, to review that sort of situation. But um, I'm not so yeah. I mean, we're obviously pretty keen, and that's why we've listed, pre-listed them. So, yeah. I want to find yeah. out more about him. Okay. All good. Right. Now, finally, on to the, uh, the season review, which uh, is probably not going to be all that much fun, but uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll go through it anyway. <laughs> so what I want to do to start with is go through our sweet and sour for the season. So one thing we found sweet, one thing we found sour about Port Adelaide in 2016. Porsche, let's start with the sweets. Um, I guess a sweet would be that we did all right for membership. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, we had we had a few players come on. I guess is the main thing. Um, I, if I was going to pick one player to name as my sweet, it's Logan Austin. Um, mm-hmm. for multiple reasons. One, he's come in to fill an important role at a time when we desperately needed him to. The second one is he looks like he's going to be a long-term player. And the third one is we got him for basically nothing in the draft. So it's like a triple win. Yeah. That's a list, list management development and um, football team win. It's, yeah, it's, for sure. Mm. No, that's a, that's a fair one. I like that. Mine's, uh, I guess, somewhat linked to that um, in that uh, I found it pretty hard. To, <laughs> it took me about four days to find one. But I thought uh, Jackson Trengove stood up under pressure for the year in the ruck, which is something worth mentioning. And... Uh, you know, we'd be been saying for 12 or 18 months that we wanted to see more of him in the ruck, and, well, you know, we ended up getting four months of it uh, pretty much full-time at the end of the year. So, um, look, the way that our midfield sort of worked whilst under Trangove was a, a hell of a lot better than the other options that we had available to us. So, yeah, he's, he's probably my sweet for the year. Yeah, look, he's been really great. Um, and I guess getting back to a previous point we made about um, Hartlett being named vice-captain, like you never want to name a vice-captain that you don't, that you have any doubts about how much they want it. Yeah. Um, and Jackson Trengove is a player. I mean, any time Trengove plays, like he always wants it. He always wants the win. Yeah. He, he always sure. plays like he wants the win, and he's exactly the sort of person, if you're going to name a vice-captain, he's the kind of player you name as a vice-captain, not a guy that sort of drifts in and out and doesn't have a lot of impact some weeks. Because yep. that's not, not, that's not leadership. You know, no, um, no, that's right. And we've heard we've had the fortune on the podcast of hearing Jackson Trengo speak a lot. Um, he can tell about his character. You know, he's pretty serious about what he does, and it was really great to see him. I think he enjoyed, obviously, that um, increased responsibility and ability to impact the side that he has in the ruck, as opposed to centre half back, where quite often you have your game dictated to you. Um, having that ability to create, I think that was a real G up, and I think his enthusiasm for the role is a G up for the players around him. Yeah. Oh, look, I think he's a natural leader at the club and 
Even mm. though I don't think he's in the leadership group anymore, um, he certainly deserves to be, that's for sure. And uh, you never know, we might see that next year. Yeah. Um, Bevan, uh, did... has, um, yep. Bevan has written in and said, sweet DBJ, sour, pretty much everything else. Yeah, Darcy Byrne-Jones has been another one. Um, he's come on pretty well, hasn't he? Uh, he's he's gone from being like, uh, uh, who's Darcy Vern jones to being like, oh, he's pretty good for a rookie, to, oh, he's, he's pretty good generally, to, oh, he's one of our better players, you know, mm. in, all in the course of one season. Um, that's that's quite impressive. Uh, I think normally you only see that, uh, I might say something about the quality of our side, but that's something you normally only see at a side like Gold Coast, you know, um, where they're kind of gutted and the kid can come in and become a, a senior player pretty quickly. Um, he's done really well. Absolutely, I agree. He's a good yep. sweep. Absolutely. Now, what is your sour? Uh, I can only pick one, right? <laughs> yes, because I'm, I'm sure we'll list about 57 of them um, <laughs> for the rest of the yeah, podcast anyway. Yeah, so. all right. Well, look, I'll save, I'll save the main one, and I'll, I'm just going to say my sour is going to be the off-season that led to the season that we had. Um, it A lot of things seem to have gone wrong. A lot of decisions off-field seem to have been made wrong. Um, we've obviously had an, an unclear assessment of where our team is at and that's unfortunately been shown as an error made at all levels of the club, uh, which that's super concerning. Yeah. Um, mm, that's my sour. That's a very good one. That is a very good one. Mine is uh, Dougal Howard. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, he wasn't really a key player when he got injured, but um, he was certainly becoming more and more comfortable at AFL level and had just come off his best game, had shown great agility, good skills, a strong grab, good leap. Um, we finally looked like developing a young key forward and then he goes down with a knee injury at exactly the wrong time um, and is out for 12 months. And, uh, you know, it was heartbreaking at the time and, and pretty well sums up our year, to be honest. Yeah, look, I mean, I'm not going to... Unlike Logan Austin, I'm not willing to say Dougal Howard's going to be even a 50-game player at this time. Um, but he, he showed a bit. He did all right. Uh, he might have the bits to be a good key forward in the future, but whether we'll, whether he'll realise it is still, I think that's still very much up in the air. Yeah. Hugely. For sure. Um, now, pre-season expectations, just to review. Um, what were your pre-season expectations? What did you want to see um, as an improvement on last year? And, and where did you expect us to finish? Uh, the things I wanted to see pre-season were uh, a forward line that has at least two key forwards uh, and move and to support that moving players out of defense where last year we clearly had you know like 10 halfback flankers in the side at any one time yeah we saw a bit of that um but not as much as we'd like the the, the forward line just really fell completely to shit um, when Ryder was suspended in a lot of ways, and then we had Schultz not uh, able to play, and Dixon taking his time to get ready, and then him getting injured, and as you said, Dougal Howard, uh, and Butcher being John Butcher at all. It's been a really horror. That that has been a complete failure on all counts. That preseason aim, yep. but I, I do think the defence became a little bit less. Um, we be- I think we became a little bit less slingshotty this year, and I don't. And I think some people probably think it's a bad thing, but I think it's probably a good thing because um, it makes us. It, it we can't. You can't. You can't be a premiership side and be a slingshot side. You've got to have more to your game than that. Um, For sure. So that's my main one, and I guess as far as finish, um, I think that it's one of those things where your list management says sets your expectations. You know, bringing in Charlie Dixon on the back of bringing in Paddy Ryder the year before, like that says. 
we're expecting to be in the finals. It's a big and sign of intent, isn't it? It's a big sign of intent because it's basically, particularly. I mean, if it was a player for player trade, it could be enough. It could be not particularly that, but the fact that both of those have been picks out players in, you know, that you you are very visibly sacrificing your future to get those players in right now. And if you're doing that, you better be doing it for finals. Um, yeah. And we've done it two years now. We've got no finals to show for it. So that's mm. Mm. <laughs> happy days. Yeah, look, I, I had a big expectations for this season. I, I hoped that uh, 2015 would be a big lesson for the club um, and its players not to take any sort of success for granted and that perceived natural improvement doesn't just happen and, and you need to actually put in the work for it to happen. And I thought with our fixture the way that it was, um, we should have a pretty big start to the year and then ride the tougher games out through the second half of the season and I thought 15 wins and maybe fourth was a, a real possibility, a genuine aim that should be achievable. And you know, losing Ryder and Monfries before the season certainly didn't help. Um, but as we said in the first podcast that we did, when that happened, you know, top four should still be on the cards. Um, what I wanted to see was with uh, was with Bassett here, uh, some better uh, defensive structures. Hopefully, with uh, the step up of Archie and Gray through the second half of 2015. More of a presence through the, a stronger midfield, more depth in the midfield. And obviously, as you mentioned, with Charlie up forward, a three-pronged forward attack. Um, all different, all requiring uh, close attention in their own ways, which uh, should have been hell for opposition defences, but didn't work out that way. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. That uh, <laughs> It didn't work out that way at all. Um, I guess it's difficult to pinpoint where it all went wrong i if i was going to talk about i've sort of in my in my sour i sort of indicated a little bit um what i think on that and i think it's that we had that board and ceo change and we had a whole new clean slate everyone came in and they said we're going to trust you um and that trust has been betrayed by players uh, yeah. And that trust has been given a bit too strongly to, to people that have should have proven that they should not have been trusted, um, and so now that's why this off season has to be brutal. Um, mm. If we're gonna if we're gonna recover with this current administration, it's this has got to be the year that you say, hey, look, we trusted you. Um, we gave you a clean slate when you'd already been untrustworthy to the previous management. You know, you'd been inconsistent and kind of rubbish and self-centred and not playing team football, and we gave you that chance, and now you're doing it again. Um, this has got to be an absolutely brutal off-season, and we haven't seen and We won't see the full extent of it until trade week or the end of trade week when we finally list extra people. But if we have, don't go real hard in terms of making clear what our expectations are of players and sh- shifting on the guys that have repeatedly failed us, um, we've got... Not just a next year problem, we've got a next five years problem. Yeah. <clears throat> no, that's fair. Um, all right, do you want to give us a quick overview of how did you see the, the season overall? Oh, what, you mean like a week-by-week week thing? Because I'm not doing that. Oh, not, not a week-by-week <laughs> week thing, just like, you know, just an overview of the year, what happened, why did it happen? Um, oh, I remember when I was doing IHS training uh, one time, I no, firewood and training, and they show you this video of like how long it takes for a room to be set ablaze. And you, you watch it and you say, oh, yeah, there's a bit of a fire there. And then you see just how quickly a fire becomes something so much bigger and becomes an absolute 
absolutely unnavigable inferno, and I feel like that's the best description of our season. <laughs> pretty <laughs> fair, to be honest. <laughs> like, like you see at the start of it, you think, oh, shit, there's a bit of a problem there. That's not good, is it? You mm. know, and in that case, I'd probably say that's like losing to Melbourne in the preseason. You know, that, that's a bit of a worry. We should really attend to that. And then we didn't attend to it, and it gets a bit bigger. It's like, well, it's still controllable. We can still do something about it. And it's like, oh, God, it's getting quite big because someone got a fire extinguisher. Where do we keep the fire blanket? I have no idea. And it's like, we can't handle this. It's like, oh, my God, how are we going to get out of here? So that, that's the season. Yeah. Sorry. No, yep. that's, a, that's a good overall view, I think. Um, look, it was a huge disappointment from the preseason expectations. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, the warning signs were there in preseason. The warning signs were there in round one with the uh, record number of Joe the Goose goals out the back and uh, from pretty much... <laughs> Partway through the second quarter in the showdown, you kind of knew that our season probably wasn't going to pan out as expected, I think. And, you know, we, we could put away poor sides, and we did that pretty regularly throughout the year, but uh, couldn't get the job done against uh, anyone half decent until um, well into the second half of the season. In fact, uh, you know, I think we went 1 9 against uh, top eight sides for the year, which is just deplorable. And our game plan looked all over the shop. We struggled to keep the ball, struggled to get it forward. Once up there, couldn't finish in front of goals. And, you know, it could at least um, probably cost us a couple of games, to be honest. And, yeah, we threatened to play well against good teams throughout the year. And, you know, we did do that. And, you know, the first quarter against Geelong was really, really good. First halves against Hawthorne and GWS were very, very good. You know, we just fell short against West Coast and the Dogs, um, obviously, with that poor last quarter. But, uh, you know, a strong effort in the second showdown as well. But we just lacked the class. Um, overall to compete for a, a full four quarters against these teams. Yes, absolutely, Macca. That's exactly mm. what happened. You talk about winning quarters and halves, and, you know, we're not in it to win quarters and halves. We're in it to win premierships. Exactly. You know, the, the, when, which means we're not even winning the stage that leads to premiership, which is games. So, yep. um, Look, yeah. as I said, one win, nine losses against top eight sides. It's a, mm. it's a deplorable uh, record to be honest, and nowhere near good enough. But what was more disappointing, uh, 2015 or 2016? I thought about this question, and I think that's the same answer as it is for which is more disappointing, 2002 or 2003. Um, in that 2002 was disappointing when we got beaten by Collingwood in the first week of finals because it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe that happened. That's ridiculous. Mm. But in a lot of ways, the next year was worse when it happened again oh, with Sydney Swans. And that, like, like <laughs> that was, Absolutely that was, it was. You know, the first time it was a shock and it was I think that had more impact as an emotional feeling or response to that happening. It was like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened and all the choker stuff came out. But it was the next year that just made it like, yeah, this is this, this is, is hell thing. now. Yeah. And I think that's kind of 2015, 2016. Like 2015, like, oh, that was really, after last year, that was hugely disappointing the end of this season. And then 2016, it's like, we've got a problem, fellas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think 2015 for me, was probably more disappointing because we had it there. We got Ryder in. We went through the hard stuff at the start of the year with the with the really hard draw, got through that pretty well and thought, yeah, things are going to open up now, and they didn't. And we lost to Brisbane and Carlton, which was just horrific. And this year you thought, well, this year it's all in mindset, I think. Um, and that's the, the most disappointing part is that we really should have done better than what we did this year. To, to only win 10 games with the fixture that we had, um, the players that we brought in, very disappointing. But uh, I guess that leads into our next part, which is um, just how much did the injuries and suspensions impact our season this year? And I guess for listeners, let me uh, spell it out a little bit. Um, 
Four of our first string defenders in Carlisle, Homsch, Jonas and Trengo have only managed 29 games for the year. Um, in defence, I should say. Uh, Carlisle played just two games. Jonas and Homsch under 10. Matty White played just the one game for the year. Dougal Howard established himself, then missed the last nine games. Jay Schultz missed 15 games. Matty Lobie missed 12 games. Hartlett missed seven games. Uh, Dixon and Wingard missed a month each. And obviously Ryder and Monfrey's out for the season. How much can we point to these and say, hey, you know, we were playing pretty heavily under man for a lot of the season and, and this might be able to explain at least some way our form during the year. I think that's an excuse that works for key defenders, but I'm not so convinced about other areas on the ground. Um, and ironically, it was the key defenders we managed to cover best. Uh, I, I, like Carlisle and Schultz, they're a particular case. They were both players that we knew were on their last legs. And so you can't go into a season expecting them to play 22 games. Like in, in all this management sense, like you had to know that this was going to be pretty close to their last season. We proved that we knew it when we held out last year for Jay Schultz for a one-year contract instead of a two-year one. Um, so we knew that situation. You can't you can't say, oh, injury to Schultz and Carlisle. We have to expect it. Um, the one to to Homsch is probably was I suppose that was the the, the straw that um, was it broke the donkey's back or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Break the camel's uh, back. Camel's back, that's the one. <laughs> yeah, um, that was the one. Uh, I think that sort of pushed it over the edge in terms of defence. But the forward, I think obviously Ryder out is a huge one. Um, you know, we were all a bit sick of Lobby last year and wish we'd traded him. And when Ryder went out as well, it was like, I mean, <laughs> was it? Lobby out was such a, sorry, Ryder out was such an obvious peril. I mean, I started that thread in pre-season, like, can we get by without playing a Ruckman <laughs> at all? Yeah. Um, you know, that was how obvious that loss was as an impact to our side just because um, of his ability to control the game but also that we had no one behind him worthwhile. Um, I think that's a fair one to comment on injuries and suspensions as Ruck, but Ford, yeah, look, if Schultz had been fit, he might have done all right. Um, if Dixon did not get injured, he might have done all right. I, I think... You're looking at a hugely alternate universe if we have, you know, Dixon and Schultz playing 10 games together because we can't even predict how that would work. Yeah. Mm. No, that's fair. I think um, well, I think there's no doubt that it had some impact, especially late in the year when we had a hell of a lot of players out. Um, there's no doubt that that impacted how we went, but um, hopefully the club isn't going to use that as an excuse for the year that we had. Yeah, yeah, I sort of, yeah. Well, I mean, the way the way we've managed our list, some of the injuries we had, we should have expected. Some of the injuries we had, we should have had depth for. Um, and in both of those mm. cases, those are list management errors. So yeah. if you're going to say, oh, no, injuries, like, have we really had that many more than any other club? You know, I don't know that we have. Probably in one particular area of the ground. I mean, the amount of um, injuries we've had in that area is probably unusual, I guess you'd say. Key defenders. Yeah. Yeah. yeah to, like... to lose all your main key defenders for pretty much the whole year is uh, that's pretty unusual, I think. But... Yeah, that that part, absolutely. But around the ground, apart from that, no. We've got no, no excuses there. I think Matty White's probably the one that we missed the most, to be honest. He's got a really good... You look a at lot, his win-loss yeah. record, and it's uh, it's exceptional. It's probably better than anybody else at the club. Um, when he plays, we generally win more often than not. Um, and I think we definitely missed that run and carry and... You know, he's got pretty good skills and can kick goals. So I think we certainly missed that, um, especially early in the season. I'm a huge Matty White fan. I want him back in. Um, I hope he recovers. Yeah. 
Uh, Bevan has asked on the speaker chat, did the wider suspensions give the club an excuse and they relaxed or, or took the easy way out? Um, I think that we get back to online poker again here and it's basically in a lifts management sense our bluff was called when Ryder was suspended. Yeah. Um, you know, the structure of our list is precarious. We knew that in some very important areas. Um, we have heaps of flankers. Had heaps of flankers all year. That was great. Yep. Um, but yeah, list management, list management, list management. Just, just press. Can you just insert that for my answers for the rest of the podcast, Maka? Just record it and just put it in. I can do. That'll uh, yeah. Let's shut it off now. And we'll just do that. That's good. Okay. Cool. <laughs> well, let's move on and talk about game plan. Can you explain what it was that we were actually trying to do out there and why it didn't work? Um, there's a lot of answers to that. We had the chat with Janus on the podcast earlier in the year, and I think we'll do it again early next year because it was quite interesting to hear what we were supposed to be doing, even if it was not actually resembled what we actually did. Um, we were supposed to be imply, uh, applying the press, which is basically it's a mindset in players where the second you the ball is not in your possession or that it becomes uh, available for contest, you need to react and start applying pressure straight away. Um, if you watch the women's game on Saturday night, that for me, I think that's a really useful format of the game to see how that works. Yep. Because you, if you're looking for a, um, a thing to criticise that game for, it's how quickly once how quickly players lose focus and take time to regain it, uh, and that's what the press is about. Like if you're going to have a good press, you've got to be the sort of player that as soon as one thing stopped, you're already on to the next thing. Like you're perfect, you're brilliantly drilled. You've got your priorities straight in your mind. You know you're. You know, yeah, some of laws of football, um, that basically how it all works uh, and what what you should be doing at any given time. I think that's what we we're trying to implement. But whether we have the players that are smart enough or think fast enough to implement it, or indeed work hard enough to apply pressure across the board, um, we talked. Need has been, I suppose, the controversial player of the season, um, in that he has had games when he was playing. Uh, and he seemed to be almost only in the side because of his forward pressure, the fact that he ran all the time. Um, you can't apply press unless every player is being accountable. Um, if it's not a uniform uh, activity, then what you see is what you saw with Need a lot of weeks is that Need runs around the forward line like a buzzing bee, and then mm. every other player is not near their opponent, so it doesn't do anything. Yeah. Um, I think that's what we were trying to do. I think it didn't work for a lot of reasons, um, partially uh perhaps education of players or their capability to, to pick it up quickly. It might be one of those things like uh, Ross Lyon when he was at um, St Kilda. You know, for a couple of years they were just awful until they worked out what he was trying to teach them. Yeah. Um, it could be that kind of situation where we're still learning it. It's going to take time because it is such a different way of playing football than we have done in the past. Mm. Um, I don't think that is it. I think it's just that our players first of all didn't want to work hard enough because we've got too many players that have shown they don't want to work all that hard um, and that they were not pressured enough to be consistent. But the, the coaches did try. That's why they were selecting Jake Need every week. But it, yeah. you can only do that so long, you know? Yep. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a list management, list management. <laughs> get, the right, get the right players, get the hardworking players with the brain. <clears throat> yeah. Although, as we know, look, Ken made a comment just before the start of the season about how we were likely to see the return of long kicks to big key forwards across the AFL. And it certainly looked like we attempted to play this way, but uh, with minimal success, really. And our kick and hope game style just failed to work against methodical teams, um, against good teams. And, 
you know, opponents knew exactly how we wanted to play, and it was very easy to cut off those forward attacks by setting up across half back pretty effectively and, and ensuring numbers around the forward target. And I think the style we tried to play was the cause of some of the poor numbers we saw this year. And, you know, 15th in total disposals across the league, last in disposal efficiency, first in clang, it shows we were unable to retain the football at any stage, you know, certainly with the simple eye test of watching us play. Uh, it was frustrating to the max and, um, you know, so many blind kicks out of a pack to no one at all and, you know, so many kicks to touch with no forwards within 30 metres. And do you think we maybe misread the Im- impact of the reduction of the interchange cap? Yeah, well, I mean, we talked in the pre-season about how it's like the game was like it was 10 or more years ago. Uh, it seems a bit like maybe we thought it had reset to mid-90s instead of mid-2000s. Um, yep. Mid-90s was absolutely, that was the long kick to key forwards era. It was the Wayne Carey era. Um, basically, uh, when you could do that, when you could have your one key forward and then just bomb it long and then they'd mark it and then you'd be okay. Um, but the reality is it reset, a, reset more to like a 2000, early 2000s thing, which we were good at at the time. You know, we were the intercept side. Um, it's why the Neil Craig styles come back because he was starting to be pretty good around about, what, 2006 or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the area we've actually reset to with the change to the interchange and the change to the rotations, the, the rotation cap. Or interchange cap, sorry. Um, so I think we just made a mis- misjudgment there. Um, we thought it would reset further than it had. Yep, no doubt. Uh, let's talk about uh, the forward line to start with. How do you think our forward line performed as a whole uh, this year? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could use words, but I don't think I can make a more descriptive noise than that sound. <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> if you could sum it up in some sort of groan, that was it. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, we talked about it. Um, injured, they were heavily injured. They, when they were fit, they weren't working hard enough. Um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> well, unstructured and underdelivered is probably my concise summation yeah. of uh, of what our former line, uh, forward line, was like this year. And Aaron Young was probably the only forward that overdelivered on expectation for the year. I think he kicks thirty seven goals, which was probably about thirty five more goals than uh, what I expected from him. Um, Wingard with 38 and our leading goal kicker had a decent year, underrated I think um, but outside of that the rest of the forward line really didn't deliver on what was expected, you know Dixon overall had a poor year, uh, Westhoff became the ultimate one quarter player uh, Schultz got injured and missed four months Need offered good defensive pressure but really struggled to uh, impact the scoreboard so yeah, not a great year by the forward line Yeah, absolutely um it was inconsistent as well, basically. That that was it. Yeah. That in, in, inconsistency of endeavour as much as anything else. But, you know, when the delivery is not there as well, it makes it hard to keep up every week. But that's why you have forward line leaders, I thought. so. Yes, very true. Look, what mm. impact did the inclusion of Dixon have in our forward setups and uh, and structures? Uh, sadly, none in the end, because he mm. ended up straight up replacing Schultz, uh, which was not the plan. But yeah. it's what happened. So that's a real shame of, of what happened, and I think we became very Dixon conscious once uh, Schultz dropped out in round two, and uh, and outside of the odd game against bottom eight opposition, we never really found a way to make it work. And uh, you know, we either kicked it long on top of his head and hoped he'd take a contested mark, which he did do fairly often, but uh, mm. or we'd kick it to, to no one at all. And I got sick sick of uh, sort of saying at games, "Where the hell are the forwards?" As we you know, just blindly kicked it to touch again and again and again. And this was far and away the worst forward structure I've seen us play in the AFL. I'd say it's pretty close, yeah. It was not good at all. Mm. I mean, the Brett Ebert-led 
forward line was the worst, but yeah. Your, in terms of, well, in terms of outright structure, that's probably worse. But in terms of trying to win games, I can't think of anything worse. You know, at least we tried to make the Ebert thing work. Work, which, uh, you know, I'm not sure what we were trying to do this year for much of it. But yeah, you know, we we obviously trained all preseason with the thought of having those three out there: Dixon, Schultz, and Westhoff <laughs> up forward, and. You know, or Schultz Butcher, got, yeah. Or, or Butcher, yeah. Schultz got injured in round one, and we replaced him with Howard for one match, and then dropped the three toll setup like a hot potato after that. And do you think we erred in not sticking to that structure for pretty much, you know, the rest of the season? Um, it really depends on how soon we made the decision that Butcher was cactus. Mm. Really, that's what it comes down to. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, because we, we talk about how you have Butcher in maybe. Uh, instead of Schultz. And in theory, we could have done that. It might have worked out. We could if, if Look, the coach as I just said earlier, happy, he had a really good year in the SNFL. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't you take as much out of that as some do. But... Yeah. yeah, look, I don't know. I reckon there's one of those stories that in 10 years' time, someone will write a book about the period and we'll hear more about what happened with Butcher <laughs> Offield that led to him being yeah. sort of treated the way he has been. Maybe, yeah. Look, Probably. here we had, you know, three key forwards, all different... You know, Dixon, the 200-centimetre contested marking beast, and Schultz prowling the forward 50, great courage, quick leads, and, and Westhoff, who could roam far and wide and run his opponents off his feet. And uh, it should have been a recipe for success, but as soon as Schultz fell out, fell out um, we just seemed to throw our uh, arms up in the air and forget about it, really. And, you know, Howard came in and out three times. Butcher, as I said, a great SNFL form, didn't get a go until the last month. And uh, all it did was put untold pressure on Dixon and especially when Westhoff inevitably uh, went down back for half a game to get a kick <laughs> you know we became very one note and predictable and ultimately failed yeah uh, and this is really um, going to come down on football management I guess it's probably one of the things we would have criticised Sean Hart for and it might be one of the reasons he's been changed or is basically we seem to have chopped and changed first of all we chopped and changed our strategy so readily you know, we talked about this management said we we're going to be a top final side. Then suddenly we change our structure, what, two or three games into the year? Yeah. Um, completely. And we say, no, that's not it's working. We're doing something look. else. You know, we shifted our, the way we were playing the game, what, three or four times this year yeah. um, in, in certain key respects. Uh, some of it was a little bit forced. Lobby being out, or more importantly, Lobby being shit, was um, certainly forced that Trango one. Uh, Ryder being out obviously was part of that as well, but we've just chopped and changed so much that there's just clearly no direction in the football department. Um, there's no, not a lot of conviction. I think, unfortunately, the, the only thing they had conviction on was the idea, again, of Jake Need being in the side because he's doing the work that they want him to do and no one else is. But even that fell apart in the end. He got dropped and didn't really get much of a show after that. Mm. Um, I, there's a lot wrong on the off-field. Yeah. So overall, what rating would you give the forward line for the year? On like uh, an A, B, C, D, E scale. I was going to give them a brass razzoo. <laughs> <laughs> I will give them a dead chicken. That's what I'll give them. <laughs> uh, okay. I'd go with a D. It didn't work. Next. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna have an NA for the forward NA. line. Oh, that's never good. <laughs> no, what can you even say about it? You know, you've got to have a forward line to judge it, right? Yeah, true. <laughs> uh, look, onto the midfield. Same first question: How do you think the midfield performed in 2016? Uh, inconsistent. Yep. Inconsistent. 
pretty much we had the guys like Gray and Archie not come on the way we wanted. Uh, Ollie Wines, he had a he, I wouldn't say he had, wouldn't say he had a bad season early, but he was certainly he was fighting through it, um, as we'd seen Travis Boak do before at a similar stage in his career. Um, yeah, I don't know. What are you? Th- what are your thoughts, Macro? The midfield is probably the one I've got the the <clears throat> least grasp on what exactly went wrong. Mm, I I would say it performed poorly, to be honest, mm-hmm. and our ability to move the ball cleanly was terrible. And as I said earlier, the worst in the league. Our structures at stoppages, especially in the first half of the season, were terrible. The whole let's kick it as hard and long as and, and as blind as we can didn't work and, and was a throwback to sort of 60s and 70s style football. Um, we really lacked pace and creativity through the uh, through the midfield and a lot of our big names struggled throughout the year and you know players we expected to improve didn't. I guess the, uh, the shining light was our improvement at stoppages under Trengo, but... Um, you know, his crash and bash, uh, get the ball and kick it style seemed to work more often than not um, than it did under Loby. And uh, our midfield setups uh, certainly improved around him. But the first six weeks or so of the season, our midfield really struggled to get anything going at all yeah, under Loby. And with Trengove taking over, it looked a little bit more refreshed. Um, I know we've discussed this quite a bit this year, but what do you put down the difference between our success under each ruck setup? Uh Lobby always looks overwhelmed, and Trengo, when he was overwhelmed, he looked like he was persisting. I think it's in, I think it's inspiration as much as anything else. You know, yep. uh, we talked about in the late season. Lobby is the player that the opposition don't really worry about, and that we don't play through even when he's loose. Um, that's that's that says not just where he's at as a player, but also says where he's at as a leader in that side. You know. Yeah. Um, so, but Trengove, he'll go out there and he'll give it his all, and everyone knew. I think that kind of helped that everyone knew that Trengove was up against it when he was given that job. And I think that the midfield around him, I don't know, maybe they worked a bit harder because they realised what the situation was. You know, he wasn't a guy just getting by and somehow still in the side um, after vulnerable form. Like he was a guy that could give his all to to win and and do well for the side. And that's that's leadership. You know, that's the leadership that will get players up on the field. If there's different types of leadership, I understand, you know. Maybe Lobby's really great at being good with the young guys around the club, um, making sure they go to training and, they, you know, they're not complete dickheads or get drunk or whatever else. He might be good at all that sort of stuff, you know. There's certainly people yeah. that do that. Whether you need that in a player or not, I don't know. But what you definitely do need in a player and what you definitely do need in a playing captain is uh, you need that inspiration on the field. Um, so never appoint a VC or, or a captain that does not have that absolute drive to succeed every game. Mm. Not just in word, but in action. Yeah. Michael Voss was heavily criticised in the first couple of months of the season. Do you think he deserves a little bit of respect for how the midfield turned it around through the second half of the year? Look, he probably does. Um, He's a really easy scapegoat because he's a Brisbane Lions player that gave us a lot of pain in the past. And he had a wildly unsuccessful uh, era as a senior coach in Brisbane, which we have a lot of articles about, which I have personally quoted multiple times. Um, (laughs) Absolutely. Look, I I have to admit, I, I should probably share a little bit of fault for the haranguing of Michael Voss on Big Footy. Um, he is an easy target, but look, there are some things he's done pretty well. And there's certainly a few players there that seem to like him. I did read a... I'm not even going to say it, so ignore I was going to talk about a rumor. I'm not going to talk about a rumor. There might be some players that don't like him as much. Okay. Um, but the, from what I have heard, maybe they're the players that I don't particularly like either. <laughs> so. yeah. <laughs> Very fair. Um, the emergence of Sam Gray and Brendan Archie through the uh, second half of last year was one of the real highlights. What do you think um, 
What's the reason for their lack of development this year? Um, not good enough. Like I think Sam Gray came good in the second half again this year, but I think yeah. he did it in more important part in more important games than he did last year. Um, Archie just not good enough. Yeah, yeah. Look, I'd probably agree with that completely. Sam played some good footy and. Yeah, he looked set for a huge year after round one. I think he had 37 touches in round one and looked mm. set for a big year. But um, you know, once he got some closer attention with our main clearance winners struggling, he just uh, couldn't get much of the ball at all. And you know, he, he played well late again. But uh, overall, I think he maybe stagnated a little bit. He certainly didn't improve on last year. Um, oh. Archie is uh, is the real disappointment. And you know, a, a tall mid who could kick goals and you know win clearances and, and take big grabs and, again, just nowhere this year. And, yeah, he went long periods each game without getting near the ball and looked slow as treacle on occasion. And there were no long handballs at all this year. Now, yeah, that was completely gone. And, yeah, he just seemed yeah. to really lose his mojo. And, you know, he's a player we probably needed to stand up and improve and it just didn't happen. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess the reason why you don't see long handballs regularly is because you've got to have fantastic vision and you've got to be a quick thinker. And he hasn't shown either of those this year. Yeah. Um, on on saying Gray, I think he I think he has improved. Um, in the I think his good games last year were in games where he didn't have a lot of pressure on him, and I think that when he disappeared, sort of mid early mid season, he was struggling with that pressure. But I think his performance in the second part of the year, like he wasn't doing the games he was playing well at. It wasn't when he was just sponging out by himself on the the defensive side of wing. You know, he was getting it in in the guts as much as anything. I think he much better um, in that regard as that sort of not quite inside, not quite outside player. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, that's a really important role on a side. Uh, I remember when Pollock was actually doing that. Um, mm. He hasn't done it this year, um, but he's been more outside than anything. But that, that in-betweener role, what I guess you might even call a ruck rover kind of role, I mean, that's really important um, to your structure. Uh, oh, so, I'm, oh, look, I'm pretty pleased. I think that Sam Gray has been a turnaround story this year. I'm, I'm pretty happy to go with him again next year. Okay. Yep, that's good. Me too. Look, I'm looking forward to seeing him play um, next year as well. Archie, I'm just not sure what's going to happen there at this point. But overall, again, rating for the midfield this year, what would you give it? 20 clowns in the back of a 1980 Datsun Bluebird. Okay, that's good. I like that. That's the equivalent of a D minus, I think. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to have to go with a D as well, just almost plainly because of the skill level was so poor. And even though we did well in clearances and improved as the season wore on, that skill level and inability to keep the ball at all by a prior move has just uh, hurt too much, I think. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Agree. Um, Defence, uh, the back line, how did you think that went in 2016? Um, are we going to review the back line as we wanted it to be or the, vacu- the back line that we actually had? Uh, probably the back line we ended up having, I would say. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Yeah. Not bad, given that they were not our first defenders. Um, yeah. We've had some you know, good young guys come through, and um, they look like being actual first 22 in the future, and it gives us freedom in this off-season to get rid of some of the older guys that maybe are not where we need them to be um, in, in the trade period uh, and maybe even in the delistings. So we'll see. Uh, but certainly the young guys did exactly what we needed them to do. Um, you know, Austin and Jones and all those, um, they put pressure on. And they're making it harder to justify keeping around seniorish players that are going to keep them out of the side. That when they're those seniorish players, maybe they can get us some players we actually need. Yeah, for sure. Look, I thought they held up uh, pretty well, considering. And 
If you were to say to me at the start of the year that we'd have Jonas, Homsch, Carlisle and Trengove out of the back line for most of the year, I'd say we'd be in for some absolute hammerings, to be honest. But To be fair, we've had some. <laughs> well, kind of, but that's more to do with other areas of the ground, I think. We only gave up 100 points four times um, from round six onwards. Yeah. When, okay. uh, when all those players sort of started to move elsewhere or, or out of the side. So, you know, considering that, I think, and considering how often we turn the ball over as well, you know, I think That's they true. held up really, really well. Absolutely. I agree. Um, I can not only did we, have, did we have all that experience out of the side, but when you're turning it over and everyone's mm-hmm. out of position and you, you know, thanks very much, guys, you know, <laughs> I think they did all right. <laughs> I think that there are a few times I'd criticise our defenders for not working hard enough when we were trying to clear the ball from defence. Yeah. We had a lot of times during the year where, um, and obviously they were linked with their most annoying losses, where our players, our, our halfbacks, our guys around the defensive 50, when we were trying to kick in, they'd offer no movement, they'd offer no leads, they'd just sort of wander around and you could tell they were half hoping, gee, I hope he doesn't kick it my way. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. uh, that's that's diabolical. Like that is... You know, if we can if we can exclude that part of our defence from it, I'm happy to give our defence a C. But if we include it, then it's got to be a D. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> well, I thought we found some new long term players in um, Burn Jones, Austin, and Bonner's uh, one game coming out at the end was impressive as well. Mm. Um, how do you feel about how we set up structurally in 2016 with uh, with Bassett coming in? Um, I think that, ironically, um, with the injuries, we returned to a pretty traditional setup. Mm. Um, you know, I don't think it was anything. I think it was an, a well-executed traditional setup, mm. okay. but I don't think it was anything. I don't think it was anything game-changing. I don't think it's a defensive setup that's going to make the the competition shudder in five years' time. It was just you know pretty conventional stuff that worked okay. And I guess yeah. when you're dealing with a lot of young players in your defence, that's probably where you want to start. So not a lot to take out of it. Yeah, I hate it personally. <laughs> to be honest, I absolutely yeah. hate it. I think it's a core issue with our game plan that we invite one, sometimes two players to uh, to not worry about an opponent and players lose players down there. I know, I think it it's terrible. promotes laziness. I think yep. um, all three of the players that performed that role throughout the year in Cracker, Hartlett and Broadbent could all be realistically described as, as lazy at times. Um, it's yeah, one of those things. I, I it's one it. of the, It's one of those things where we've heard in the past, I haven't heard it on media for a while, but... You know, the, the football club talk about how they're kind of like parents to the players, the young ones particularly. Um, and, you know, when your parents are sort of saying, ah, oh, look, you don't worry so much about the kickouts, let this other one do it, then you get the impression that you're the shit defender and they're the good one. <laughs> you know, like yeah. that's what your parents are communicating to you, right? Mm. And that's what our coaches communicate when they um, set up designated kickers or the like. Uh, and when they have players that, as you say, that run loose because they can't rely on the other players in the defence to do their job, you know, that's hugely undercutting their ability to be proud of what they do and to think of themselves as fully responsible AFL footballers. So I yeah. agree, absolutely. It sets a bad tone and it sets a bad tone, particularly with young defenders. So mm. um, I'd love to see that change. Fair enough when we were doing the slingshot and you wanted sort of numbers around the bowl at half back oh, and then you run it out. Bullshit. Well, you run it out and you can sort of understand why you're trying to play that way. But when you're playing sometimes multiple loose defenders down back and all you're doing is booting it back um, as hard as you can uh, to no one in particular, so it just comes back straight back in again. Like It's just a core issue with our game plan. And 
I didn't like it at all. And uh, no. I guess one of the other things to talk about is the entirely predictable and one note kicking strategy, which um, you know was pretty terrible as well. And you, how do we improve this in 2017? And how do you feel um, that we decided to kick long to the flank time and time again? Because as a group. You know, I felt we couldn't hit targets with uh, risky shorter kicks um, that may have opened up the play, and that um, might be a reason for it. Yeah, look, um, you just got to be really consistent in giving rockets to defenders that don't lead every game. Um, you know, when we have the ball in defence, there should always be at least three or four players genuinely moving into an area where they can receive the ball. And you can't tell me that that's not possible to do. We have to see every other side of the decent defence do it all the time. Um, but we just, you know, some weeks when we've had a rocket up us and they're like, oh, okay, we've got to do this. And you see them come out and you go, oh, yeah, they're, they're playing a proper defense. And then the Carlton game happens. Um, mm. You know, <laughs> it's that was oh, that was the most frustrating game to be at, Macca. It was really, oh, that was the, the worst game of this year, no doubt. Um, just in terms of not just the result, but more importantly, the application. Like, we should not have lost that for a second, that game. No. Um, but we just didn't try. Uh, and so that's that's a huge part of it, guys. Like that's we talk about Darcy Ben Jones coming in and being a positive in the side, and that's, he has been a positive in the side because he is probably one of the people that offends less on this count. But if he spends the next year being dropped for a guy like Hamish Hartlett who doesn't do that, you reckon that might change the way Darcy plays his own game? Yeah, I reckon it definitely. might. Yep. So sure. <laughs> we've got to move on these old halfbacks that don't run. They can piss right off. Yep. <laughs> What would your ideal defensive group look like in 2017? Um, I wrote it down, but I can't remember. Um, I think it was something like Logan as the fullback, Cleary as the centre-half back, Homsch on the side, Jonas probably in, depending on the opponent, Pittard and Darcy Byrne-Jones as a back six, and you might, if you have to add an extra run in there... Um, as a like an interchange player that you have rotating through defence, I guess you'd probably go for... If we don't trade in Broadbent. Okay. For Bonner. Yep. That's good. Mm. I like that. For me, I'd like us to play a six-man back line for the first time under Hinckley. And yep. I'd be happy with Austin and Cleary becoming the two main defenders. Homsch back to his uh, more suited third toll role so he can play as that chop-out intercept defender that um, he was really wonderful at uh, prior to uh, moving to full-back. I'd like to see uh, DBJ as our main small shutdown defender. I'd mm. still like to see Jonas back there on a back flank. Um, and I'd love to see Bonner start round one next year as well. Um, you know, some obvious names missing there, I think. Uh, Trengove, I think, should be used as a ruck f- uh, third toll forward going forward. I'd like to see Brody move back into a near full-time midfield role. Um, and I'd also like to uh, take the risk and move Pittard up to a wing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm okay with any of that. Yeah, that sounds all right. <laughs> That's it. Um, overall rating for the back line? Uh, 7 out of 10. <laughs> no, not that high. Um, look, I mean, I guess it's hard to rate any area. Uh, if we're rating the, the, the defence that actually played... Um, young guys B, old guys D. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to rate it three good bottles of uh, Cabernet Sauvignon from the Coonawarra. Oh, okay, there you go. Which winery? Oh, probably Wins Coonawarra, or okay. maybe Catnook. Right, right. Mm. I don't know wines, so I'm just going to say that. <laughs> so that sounds all right. 
Yeah, look, I'd go with the B minus. Good under pressure given the youth of the group uh, for most of the year, but um, with some issues to nut out for next year as well. Agree. Right. Uh, best and fairest predictions. Who's going to be the top three? Bobby Gray, uh, Darcy Byrne Jones, Jasper Pittard. Okay. Only go Ollie Wines, number one. Oh, Ollie, yeah. I forgot Ollie. Drop Darcy, put in Ollie. Okay. <laughs> Jasper <laughs> Pittard, number two. And uh, Robbie Gray, number three. Although Travis Boat might sneak in because he played 22 games. Yeah, that and does Gray help. Gray only played we... uh, 18, I think. So it, it is a consistency award with our voting system, so you might mm. be quite right. Uh, best team man. Who should win that? Jackson Trengove, no doubt. You know, as good as um, DBJ's been, uh, it's Jackson Trengove for sure. Yeah. He stepped for up sure. exactly when we needed someone to. Uh, best young player? Darcy. Yeah, I'm going to go Ollie. I think he's still um Is he still eligible? I think so. I think he have to be under... Oh, I thought he's 21 now. Uh, I think he's 21 and under, isn't it? Oh, okay. It might be. Yeah. I don't know. And most improved? Uh, um, <laughs> that's a tricky one. I don't know. I guess probably Darcy Van Jones. Yeah, I had Darcy. I think from where you he came to, from last really. year... Yeah, um, and to remember, like half the people on our forum wanted him sacked <laughs> at the end of yeah. last year, and what a mistake that would have been. Game. In hindsight, <laughs> what a mistake that would have been. So, yeah, you know, he's improved out of sight, and I don't think anyone would have seen him um, coming in and being just so consistent for the year. Mm. And you know, it's a real credit to himself how well he's played this year, and uh, you know, hopefully he continues. Yes, that would be good. Yeah, I, I guess if you're gonna. Look, this is the thing. I'd like I'd like to name someone that played last year. I guess Jarman Impey. If I had to name a player that had played an AFL game yeah. before this year to be a most improved, yep. going to be Jarman Impey. No, that's certainly fair. He would have been my next player as well. And, you know, change of role, and he certainly did it well. Yeah, I um, think he's that's shown a lot. certainly fair. Yep. And Aaron Young probably as well. Because, you know, he was on death's door last year and probably oh, lucky yeah. to stay on the list. Yeah, definitely. That's true. I forgot Aaron Young. He'd be right up there. Turn up with 37 goals for the year, I mean... You can't ask I don't, I don't think anybody would have seen that coming at all from Aaron. No, so. no not even Aaron. No, he's uh, he's done well. Look, as a final note to 2016, what would you like to say? Um, What is this? I am 12. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Old school. I like it. I would go hashtag calm. That's, uh, <laughs> that's what I'm going to say. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Look, Hashtag uh, Grey Pride. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> Look, let's uh, go through some questions pretty quick because this has been a long podcast tonight. Uh, let's right. quickly go through some. Uh, Papagallo has said the highlight of this season is undoubtedly the promising performances and ongoing selection of the youngsters. And he's listed a DBJ, Howard, Austin, Cleary and Palmer. So it was Keating would say was 2016 uh, the recession we had to have and will this happy accident hold us in better stead for the future? Well, look, I mean, this time last year when we were talking about delistings, there were a lot of players that you'd say, I don't know, do we delist them or not? Mm. Um, this year, I think that because we have been able to play these young players, there's a lot more yes and no. Like, you could be... This year, we have tested our depth. We have seen a lot more of those players. And so we know it much more certainly this year who we can piss off and who we want to keep. So yeah. it has been useful. It is sort of the recession we had to have, but it's the recession mm. that we've had. And now that we make Two the changes based on what we know, 
we have to replace that depth and make that depth our first 22. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, we're going to be too old and we're not going to develop right. Yeah. Look, I'm sure we said at the end of last year, oh, look, we've seen Gray and Archie and Amon come on and, you know, we won six of the last eight games. This is a recession we had to have and, you know, we'll be right next year. I'm sure yeah. we said that. Oh, I don't think we'll be right next year, but I think that we know a lot more about our list than we did this time last year for sure. Yeah. Are the Hartlett trade rumours uh, for a draft pick evidence of a rebuild? This is from Q Power. No, it's not evidence of a rebuild until we actually do it. <laughs> yeah. I think it's more evidence of weeding out underperforming players as opposed to a rebuild as such. But uh, I think it's more evidence of the fact that Port are trying to look like they're doing something and if they don't do it, then they still haven't done anything. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm more cynical than you, Macca. I think that... Uh, this year has also shown that the club is still very much trying to manipulate perceptions of fans. And I think that's something like this is very much part of that. Yep. Uh, the FVK has asked, uh, there's a very strong correlation between average age of list and performance. Are we shooting ourselves in the foot with this mini-rebuild by retiring off these season vets? No. No. We've seen old lists before that are shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at Frio. <laughs> well, Carlton a few years ago, Carlton, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't think so either. Uh, look, Carlisle's body's clearly had it, and we mm. don't believe Schultz is up to it anymore. And you know, I think those two de- uh, decisions in isolation are perfectly fine. And look, had we delisted White and Monfries as well, then maybe my opinion might be a little bit different. But uh, yeah, you know, we haven't made any out of the blue decisions yet. I don't think. Who asked that question? Uh, the FVK. All right, FVK, that's a cargo cult question, you know. Average age is a bullshit stat. Don't worry about it. Just look for real metrics. Thanks, mate. Uh, Mr. <laughs> Speaker, cats, small dogs or big dogs? What would you prefer? I don't like any of them. <laughs> <laughs> are you more of a if, Goanna person? or If I was going to get a pet, I'd probably get a rabbit. I like rabbits. Yeah, rabbits are cool. Rabbits are cool. I grew up with small dogs, but I prefer big dogs. also love cats. Um... So I'd probably choose cats. I like cats, but they're just too much of a hassle, whereas rabbits are always there when you want them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Glitch has asked the question, given we seem to have delisted all our spare tall forwards, can we look forward to Brett Ebert coming out of retirement to give us a marking target up forward next year? Um, from what I'm reading in the trade target threads and the draft ones, apparently we're going to recruit one. So, mm. ugh. <laughs> Well, I'm keen for Hitchy to come back as well. Bring back uh, Cameron Hitchcock while oh, we're God. at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Nathan Laney to give us supply to the forwards. Maybe Jared Irons as well. <laughs> I liked him. He was all right. Oh, Cooleritis. Oh, no, that would mean the return of Cooler Girl. No thanks. That's true. That's true. Mm. Harold Oliver has asked, uh, shared banquet or individual main course? I like to do a combo. Um, in a lot of these things, I like tapas. Is this a euphemism, or is he actually asking about food? I think I'm going to treat it like food, because I don't know what okay. he's talking about if it's not. Yeah. Um, and then if I'm doing tapas, I like to have one thing that I know I definitely like, mm-hmm. and then it's nice to have a couple of share plates that you um, that you you, you know you take a chance and you go, oh, that looks interesting, and you might not like it, but at least you've got something to fill you up a little bit. So I like it if everyone has like one share plate, or you know, a safe a safe a couple of safe bets. Yeah. Um, and then you have a bit of experimentation apart from that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, obviously, it depends on the cuisine as well, and I'm happy with either. Um, I love tapas or um, or Asian or Indian-style sort of shared courses. I think they're really good, but, um, yeah, I'm usually pretty happy to have my own as well. Um, mm. Or even go to the sort of uh, degustation route, which is pretty much the best of both worlds, really. 
I really, I have never done a degustation, but I really want to. They're great, oh. especially with shared wines. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're going to do it, you got to do it with the wines, right? Yeah, mm. have to. Mm. Uh, Bomber Clifford has asked, Beatles or the Stones? I do not believe in music before 1993. Okay. Unless it's like 100 Fair years enough. earlier. <laughs> Classical music's fine, but yeah. That's good. Right. Definitely Beatles for me. I've never been a fan of the Stones. Um, I'm not a big Beatles fan either, but um, I'd definitely pre- um, choose them. I think the Stones are probably the most overrated band of all time. So that's what I have to say. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, look, I, for me, like growing up in the eighties, I guess you might have done a little bit of that. But just having the only music that you can listen to being like ABC FM, or if, even then, I don't know, it might have been Five DN or someone, mm. or SAFM playing the same Aussie rock that you hear on Countdown in every fucking media source because there are only five on TV, not even yeah. five in the eighties or four, um, and all you're getting fed down your throat is this terrible local rock. Um, and then the 90s come and the internet comes and you can finally listen to stuff from overseas and you can buy things from cdnow.com, you know, listen to samples <laughs> of music you never heard before. And, and then, then we also had the spider baits and regurgitators and all that coming through in a different mm-hmm. different way, you know, not being in the traditional sherbets for the 10,000 time or Johnny Farnham's 10th album. Um, yep. For me, that's, that, that's when music became real is when you didn't have to listen to the music you grew up with. Mm-hmm. No, that's good. I like that answer. That's a great answer. And Dylan has asked, what happened in 1993? I've got uh, two words I... for you, Dylan. Snow Informer. Game changer. <laughs> Actually, for me, that was my graduation year and my album was Cypress Hills Black Sunday. <laughs> good song. <laughs> there we go. Uh, Andre has asked, um, what's the top three from each host for the biggest effect of our season? from these categories. Suspensions, injuries, poor kicking, poor structure, mentally weak players, and player fitness. What's the top Structure, three? mental, whatever it was, mm-hmm. and injuries. Okay. I'm going to say poor kicking, poor structure, and mentally weak players. Yeah. Okay. Andre, the question king, has also asked that if the Bigfooty port board was stranded on a desert island with no food, would needs gravy be the first one we sacrifice or do you think his food knowledge extends to the tastiest way to cook a, a person I think there are more considerations than that um, I don't know like this, this, this is really a question for TSW you know when he gets back mm. from Survivor or when he can talk about it um, <laughs> I think it probably there'd be a, a, a tendency to get rid of the most irritating person first yep. um, so PAFC 66 would be the first to go for sure Mm. Um, yeah, apart from that though, I don't know. I mean, I'd have to be pretty high <laughs> on that list. <laughs> Look, I think the answer's in his username. Needs gravy. Where are you going to get gravy from on a desert island with no food? Yeah, true, true. Simple it's hard, that. you know, I mean, there's roast I'll be looking elsewhere. Really... Look, we could go down the Changanine route because he's probably drunk and you'd probably end up drunk for a couple of days. Look, honestly, I wouldn't because I think what it would come down to, because as you said, there's no real ingredients to make your food better, so it's going to come down to who's the best barbecuer. Um, mm. Who's that? Who's, that's the question. Who's the best barbecuer on Bigfooty? And I've got no idea on that count. You guys might, but, you know, maybe it's Changanine. Could be. Might be. Could be. Mm. You never know. Well, look, that is it. Oh, okay. 
We're done. Hey. Thank you very much. <laughs> Alright, the season's over. Woo. Uh, no. <laughs> no, has said garlic maca fixes everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about garlic. Yeah, look, garlic's it's great. All Gar- about the garlic. Honestly, yeah. if they, if you can ever have a food and then you have an option of adding garlic and chili, like why would you not do that? Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> look, splash me with a bit of chili oil and uh, be very tasty, I think. Uh, I always ask for extra garlic sauce on my server. <laughs> suva, suva. <laughs> Called a Euros, mate. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Well, that is the season review done. Thank God that's over. And yeah. Now we, need, now we spend the next seven weeks doing player reviews. Yeah, right. and then we start talking about list management and drafting. Yeah. And then And then we go, oh my God, I can't wait for football to be back. <laughs> <laughs> it never ends. The vicious cycle. cycle. It is absolutely that. That's it. Well, thanks for coming on, Porsche. Thank you, Macca. Thanks and, for doing uh, the, the actual work while I theory crafted uh, in response. <laughs> that was um, very helpful as always. And thank you, Spreaker listeners. Um, a few good answers here. Dylan did say that Dad Rock is getting served, and let's face it, Dad Rock deserves to get served. It does. There's <laughs> nothing good about Dad Rock. <laughs> nothing at all. No. All right. Though I do like Phil Collins, I have to say. I like that. What's, what's, what's something in the air tonight? The the dun 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 dun. dun, dun. Like everyone likes oh, that. Best, yeah, that's a good drum bit. <laughs> that, that that's it. Yeah. That's the only full comment I like. Yeah, no, mm. that's fair. All right. Until next right. week. Can the Thank pair. Thank you, Can the powers. And also, this is the only the only context in which I'll say it. But in the SNFL, go crows. <laughs> <laughs> I'm editing that out. <laughs> Oh, come on. It'd be the ultimate, you know, you have created this entire mess yourselves, SNFL, and now you must live in this shit and have it shoved up your nose. True. <laughs> go the calves. Yes. Yeah, go the cows. Up go the umbrellas. Clifford's fifth kick. Oh, a towering torpedo, but that's a massive kick. 